Welcome to the Seminole Wars. In this podcast, we explore how the Seminole Wars came to be, how they were fought, and how they still resonate some two centuries later. I am your host, Patrick Swan, and our show is a production of the Seminole Wars Foundation, found online at www.seminolewars.us. We are recording today from the homestead of the Foundation in Bushnell, Florida. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome. Fort Foster, the little replica gem of a fort on the Hillsborough River, requires an urgent restoration. Wooden planking has reached a dangerous state of deterioration inside the four sturdy walls. This deterioration on the planking renders them a safety hazard and causes the rangers at the Hillsborough River State Park to have to shutter the gates to visitors. Louis Bear's heart returns in this episode to describe the fort's destitute state what the park manager is doing to alleviate that, what the park has had and still has to offer, and what is Fort Foster's place in U.S. military history. Louis is a living historian portraying a seminal. He brings his family into the interpretation, and he brings a love for the Hillsborough River State Park to his conversation with us. Louis Bear's heart, welcome back to the Seminole Wars. Thank you very much, Patrick. Great to be on here. Louis, what is Fort Foster today? at the Hillsborough River State Park. Fort Foster is a recreated fort from 1836. It is a fantastic gem that currently needs love. How is that? Today, Fort Foster, we're unable to do any kind of living history at the fort due to maintenance, in need of maintenance. Uh, working on fundraising with the DSO for Fort Foster. So Fort Foster has some very pressing maintenance needs. How did we get here? It takes a lot of money to run a replica of a wooden fort. And the replica that we have now was rebuilt between 1994 and 1996. It's a lot of lumber that is required, and it's not just your average 2 by 4 Natural cut lumber, 3 inches thick, 12 inches wide, and some of the, some of the boards are 16 feet long. So um, naturally, that's going to take some effort to acquire funds to get it going. It takes a lot of money to maintain, and it takes a lot of money to repair. So when something is built all at one time, everything is going to break all at one time. You know, if you change light bulbs in your house all at the same time, rather than put one light bulb in today, one light bulb in next week, one light bulb in the following week, everything's going to break down at the same time. Well, separate from getting special or emergency aid from the state, what is the community services organization doing to try to bring some dollars in for maintenance? There is a GoFundMe being set up. The community support organization, CSO, Hills River State Park Preservation Society, is accepting donations in a separate fund for Fort Foster. When the fort is, pardon the expression, ship shape, what kind of events are held at it? The February event is also known as a rendezvous, and so it's blended rendezvous and living history with the reenactment. It's typically held around Valentine's Day weekend. We were making attempts to plan an event for the rendezvous, but it was going to be at Hillsborough State Park. And by that, you mean not in the replica fort? Unfortunately, we were unable to get the planning portions completed in time to be able to a quality program. So the park is brainstorming ideas during a living history event sometime later on in the spring. So you don't have a sign stating enter at your own risk outside the actual stockade of the fort. You just can't go in. No. It is required 
for ranger guided tours and we are not currently conducting ranger guided tours of fort because we can't get inside the fort it's not an effective interpretive tool to even go on to the property where the fort is located it would have to be a ranger guided tour i know the covid 19 shutdowns have skewered the numbers but what are the figures you have for attendance at these Seminole War events pre-COVID? Mm, Pre-COVID for Fort Foster, for daytime events, the rendezvous would get somewhere around three to 400 persons a day. The candlelight event in December would get approximately, I think our first year there was, we had like 600 people the first night. That's 1,200 people a weekend. It was a really big draw for the area. You know, and hoping to get back to the days of grandeur. Louis, emphasize the type of living historians one will see at the two Fort Foster events. Okay, so rendezvous is a mixture between fur trapper era mountain man rendezvous. So at that event, they would rendezvous camps to see and visit and discuss that era of American history, as well as settler selling wares of that period. And then with the mixing in of Florida living history, you'd have soldier camps, living historians manning the fort, showing life in the day of a soldier. And then at the Seminole camp, we'd have Seminole living historians cooking over the fire, showing tools and ways of doing things on the, on the Seminole side of living history. And uh, in a daytime reenactment, showing Seminoles crossing the bridge, going across on the south side of the river and on the main lawn of the fort going back and forth between soldiers and Seminoles, soldiers starting out in the fort and coming outside with the mountain halter, cannon, few shots, and fading away. As far as candlelight goes, that is an interesting revamp of the original living history program at Fort Foster, showcasing some Second Seminole War history on its own, and in the nighttime, showing what the soldiers would be doing in 1836 at nighttime, having dinner in the officers' quarters, talking about quartermaster, what the quartermaster would be doing, infirmary, and then on general camp, have campfire programs, storytelling, music, camps showing what would happen at nighttime, how you would be caring for your equipment, things like that, and then uh, nighttime reenactment. So nighttime muzzle flashes, cannon shots, never seen black powder fired at nighttime. It's something that you really ought to check out. So that's absolutely astonishing. So... Um, well, if you can't get into a Seminole War era replica fort, what can you see regarding the Seminole War? Is that the Hillsborough River State Park? There, parking lot one is the Interpretive Center. It is a museum about the Second Seminole War and Fort Foster. It also talks a little bit about the earlier stage of Fort Foster, known as Fort Alabama. What was the purpose of Fort Foster, or what was it used for? The fort was actually used three times. That site was actually used three times. First time as Fort Alabama, second time as Fort Foster. And I'm not certain if the third time it, it used Fort Foster or if it even had a name. I haven't found the document on that. Fort Foster, Fort Alabama, they were positioned right at the bank of the Hillsborough River. The bridge was constructed there at the Hillsborough River at Fort Foster to connect the Fort King Trail on either side of the river. So it was a way of moving men and supplies across the Hillsborough and continuing on the Fort Road. The first fort, Fort Alabama, was abandoned, but they left a booby trap that caused an explosion, killing some sentinel about a half hour after the army had abandoned it. The second fort, Fort Foster, I understand that was just burned when it was abandoned. 
Uh, that is correct. It did burn. It had gotten burnt at least once, and several attempts were made as well in addition to that. And the primary mission of these forts at this site? The job of Fort Foster was to secure the bridge across the Hillsborough River. Prior to the bridge being built, there is also a natural ford, very shallow water and a solid lime rock base, making it easier at that part of the river to cross. And of course, the bridge made that even better. This portion of Hillsborough River is very steep banks and can have some deeper sections of it as well. So the natural ford, lower bank levels, shallow water and the lime rock base made that fording a lot easier. At that point, we've already established some sort of process, procedure, and idea across the hills. Might as well stay there. So the bridge was built and Fort Foster was built to protect that bridge. What can you tell us about attacks on the fort? There was one instance that I found. It was a nighttime harassment, if you will. Some Seminoles on the north side of the river bank fired some shots at the fort. There was a report of seeing Seminole carrying some sort of fire towards the bridge, firing back and forth. One shot of the cannon across the bridge ended the harassment. So. Some of our listeners may be surprised to learn that at the time of this attack that the soldiers bedded down outside the four walls of the actual fort. That was the way that most forts operated. The men slept in tents outside of the fort and only came into the fort for duties or if the fort came under fire. It was more for protection rather than dwelling. I don't know if that permitted more space inside the fort for lack of better word, business. I've been to a few fort sites, North Florida, South Georgia, and a lot of those forts were actually nothing more than just a blockhouse, not even a palisade. Those blockhouse-style forts obviously would not be able to house all the soldiers that manned the garrison forts. These forts at that time in that place appear to be leading an active life as a nuisance to its enemies, but not living that long. The fort was built 1836, and from my understanding, it only really served one season of the, of the war. That was not the first time that that fort site was abandoned. It was also abandoned under Fort Alabama as well. Also, remembering the soldiers at Fort Foster were having a lot of issues. Disease malaria was one of the major problems, and not knowing at the time what malaria was, oftentimes the war would take a pause, a break during what the soldiers called a sickly time, the summertime, when the mosquitoes are more prevalent and such. And that's about the time that they abandoned Fort Foster, was dealing for the sickly time. Regardless of a fort being sighted there, they still had a bridge going across the Hillsborough River because it connected the Fort King Road. Fort King Road still remained active. In 1849, the fort was reoccupied again for a very short period and then again abandoned. Very well later on, it became cattle country. The Seminoles moved further away. The white settlers come in, they started trading cow camps and became what's known as cow hunters, hunting the leftover Spanish cattle. Fort Foster still sits on property, part of Two Rivers Ranch. To this day, Two Rivers Ranch came in the early 1900s. So how did we get from Two Rivers Ranch owning the property to a state park and then to a replica Fort Foster? Back in the 70s, Two Rivers Ranch noticed they were finding a lot of artifacts and research was done. Two Rivers Ranch, as I understand, leased the property to Hillsborough River State Park. And later on in the early 80s, Fort Foster was recreated for the first time. 
and there started living history programs for Hillsborough River State Park and Fort Foster and became a very popular site for the community as well as living historians. In 1994, half of the fort mysteriously burnt down. Uh, the reports are still, they don't know why or how the fire started. But from what I found between 1994 and 1996, the repairs were ongoing and Living history went on around the rebuilding of Fort Foster. The rebuilding of Fort Foster was finally finished in 1960. Tell us about the flora and fauna around Fort Foster today and back then. The flora fauna around Fort Foster absolutely has. I don't have any pictures of Fort Foster from 1836, but I can tell you there's a um, whole lot of Caesar weed to other non-native and invasive plants that the park is working on tirelessly to get under control. Vegetation around the fort is a lot closer to the fort than it probably would have been in 1836, trying to create as much visual open ground as possible. So, But there's still plenty of room around the fort for a living history event in programs that have to take place, but I would imagine that the vegetation would have been cleared out a lot more than what it is. Louis, you talked about park what Louis, you talked about what's at parking lot one. How about parking lot two? Checking out the Interpretive Center, moving on to parking lot two, which showcases one of the main reasons why Hillsborough State Park is a state park. Built between 1934 and 1938, it was part of the New Deal, trying to find ways of getting people back into working and earning money. There at Parking Lot 2, you're able to see a very rare occurrence here in Florida, a Class 2 river rapid. Enough topography in Florida to create those river rapids running over lime rock stones on our easiest and most successful hiking trails in the park. We have a total of five hiking trails. Two of those five are multi-purpose, actually, with equestrian, bicycle, and hiking as well. And that is a restoration area where we're trying to return old model dairy into a pine forest, basically. Camping is also available there at Hillsborough State Park. A picnic area, a recreation hall for rent for special events, actually, where my wife and I got married. Playgrounds for the young ones. Plenty of things to do, plenty of things to see. I mentioned about the non-native invasives. Uh, we also have a lot of native plants at Hillsborough State Park. And uh, wild coffee, American beauty berry, all sorts and kinds of interesting things to see. Birds, alligators, alligator gar, fishing is available. So it's really just an awesome place to, to see. Uh, we have Second Saturday Paddle, a ranger-guided kayak tour of the River on the lawn. So it's a concert held there at Parking Lot 4. And then spread a blanket, enjoy some live music at that nighttime event. That's another opportunity available for general public to get out and see and experience Florida, not just in the daytime, too. Listeners who want to learn more should go where? I would recommend to go to floridastateparks.org. In the search for the park, Hillsborough River State Park. And that'll show you amenities, uh, opportunities, events, things of that nature that are going on at the park. So, Louis Bearshart, as a living historian who portrays a seminal with a seminal family, where have you taken your interpretation on the road? My family participates in living history and reenacting all throughout the state, all the way from South Florida and into North Florida. As of recent, I have also journeyed outside of Florida for living history, all the way into the 
Carolinas and Tennessee, even to Arkansas, New Mexico, and the Jazz Fest in New Orleans. But my son, during COVID, turned 16, and then for the parts to be on the battlefield and participating in battle, you have to be at least 16 years old as a parent or guardian along with them until they get older. So he's finally been able to start participating again in the battle reenactments. My wife works around the camp, the fire, and tending to our three-year-old as well, which is always a fun and enjoyable challenge. Well, before potty training, I imagine you just use some commercial diapers, right? Even showing how to make traditional diaper-type material cloth stuff with cotton tail for absorption and, and stuff like that. Showing how the kids would take part in the camp, doing camp tours, what those camp tours would be. So our daughter has actually left for the military a couple of years ago, but before she did, one of her jobs or interpretation was showing how to use flint and steel to light a fire. My son would talk about the camp, the, the furs and things like that around, things, different items around camp. Indeed, definitely a family affair. We enjoy it. We have fun camping out. Living historians were able to camp out where people are not normally allowed to camp. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to do this. Have fun during the day talking to the general public about what's going on around site, and then at nighttime enjoy the site with its own different value. Louis Bearsheart, you look at these park rangers in their fancy uniforms. How important are the rangers to the operation of this park? The rangers are the group of persons that take care of the park, not just through maintenance and repairs and that type of thing, but also explaining the park, explaining the land, teaching people who may not know what nature is all about. What is this plan or what should I think about before I go out on a trail? What would I experience on the trail? What animals do you think I might see? These are all very common questions that are asked of rangers. So interpreting those responses is important because it teaches someone that is not necessarily familiar with nature how to work with nature and get something out of it for yourself and then put something back in for the nature that surrounds them. Especially nowadays, a lot of people are looking for outdoor safe environments to go with their families. Florida State Parks was one of the first things that reopened. It's important that the rangers are there to make that service for the park guests and also to protect the park and make sure that the park is there for guests. As we wrap up, considering Fort Foster's place in American history and in American military history, how good a deal is it to have Fort Foster and Hillsborough River State Park together? Fort Foster is a fantastic tool that served as a very important part of American history. It is a tool that helped us interpret that history and share what happened and how to move forward from what happened and make things better. Louis Bear's heart. Thanks again for joining us for The Seminole Wars. You're welcome, Patrick. It's good to be here. Thank you again for having me on. If you enjoyed this show, please take a moment to like us on Facebook at Seminole Wars Foundation. Leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. Your reviews and comments help new listeners discover us and help us keep this show going. Visit our website at www.seminolewars.us for blogs, articles, news, books, events, membership information, and how to subscribe to this podcast. We'll be back soon with a new episode of the Seminole Wars Podcast. The Seminole Wars Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to preservation, education, and publication of Seminole Wars history throughout the state of Florida. 
This podcast is copyrighted. The Seminole Wars Foundation, 2022. All rights reserved. Front bumper music, The Devil's Garden. Roast em. Provided by kind permission of Rita Youngman. Back bumper music, Second Seminole Win, by Jed Merrim and Ricky Pittman. Courtesy of Ricky Pittman. All rights reserved.